And I'm going to pray for us that he would be on the move with his word as well this morning. And so let's pray once again. Good and gracious God, we bless you for your presence among us today. God, we bless you for the way that you stir up a body to pray for the rest. You are so good. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you make it clear to us, that you plant seeds and water and grow, and that what you begin you complete. And so, God, we ask that your word would be um, have growth this morning. Lord, would you sow deep in our hearts. God, we ask for your equipping and your anointing and empowering for the preaching of the word, for the hearing of your word, and for the working out of your word. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. I don't know about you, but my heart is already so full. I don't really know that I have more room, but we're going to, we'll do some dessert digging. Um, <laughs> let it leak out, says Carolyn. All right. So we are working through Matthew and what a fun trip this has been. As God restores us, he restores the world. Last week, we went a little bit backwards and we went back to Matthew 5, which is the, the Sermon on the Mount that starts with the Beatitudes. Um, now, these Beatitudes are about as famous as Psalm 23, right? Like people have these things cross-stitched on their walls. They're very, very important. Why? My grandma did. She did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why have these stuck and stood the test of time in such a profound way? Well, let's look. Let's set the context a little bit. So thus far in Matthew... Jesus has been born, he was baptized, he was tested in the wilderness, and then suddenly his ministry explodes. He begins calling disciples to him, and he's teaching all over Galilee with this really clear message. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Matthew says that as he went, Jesus healed people from pain and disease. He stopped seizures He solved the problem of paralysis. People were moving. He set the demon-possessed free. Like, hallelujah, the kingdom of heaven had come. Jesus is on a roll. There are masses following him everywhere. Like, he gets in a boat, and everyone else gets in a boat, and they go. People are following him everywhere. And seemingly out of nowhere, Matthew hits a pause. Jesus sees this big crowd, and he climbs up to a mountainside, and as Pastor Gina noted last week, he sits down, which I like the idea of a chair while we preach. We might have to think about that. So Jesus sits down, and he starts teaching a very specific message. Now, there's some debate as to who Jesus' audience is at this point, because it says, like, the the disciples followed him, and he starts talking to his disciples And I just want to be clear that I think Jesus is talking to anybody who's following him. That's you, and that's me, and that's everyone who could hear him on that hillside. So it's interesting that um, Matthew is the only gospel that records this particular sermon in the same sort of container with all the bits in one place. But the themes and the phrases that are in the Sermon of the Mount can be found woven throughout the Gospels and the New Testament. And so some scholars have even made the point that the reason the Sermon on the Mount has stuck so profoundly, it's so prolific, is because you could make an argument that this is Jesus' core teaching. 
Like if you take what he's saying and really boil it down, this is what he wants us to get. And so, friends, this is what we get to dig into this morning. So, as Pastor Gina noted last week, the Beatitudes are not like a buffet where you get to pick up one and not the other. We get them all. We're called to embrace them all. And so let's read all of them from Matthew 5. I'm going to read, let's see where I'm at. I'm just going to read 1 to 11. If you've got your Bibles with you. All right. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Do we have any gardeners in the house? Like vegetable gardeners? Okay, I know we do. I've seen I've seen the crop. So this last spring I got really motivated and I went to the hardware store and I picked out a bunch of seed packets. Um, several years ago, my dad made me one of those nice cedar raised bed situations, right? It sits empty a lot. Um, <laughs> so I, I put it in what I felt like was a great spot. Like it looked nice and it was going to get the sunlight and, and the things that it needed. And I read the back of each packet of seeds and I put them in the ground. You know, you got to put them this many inches apart and this many inches deep. And, and I put some mulch on the top and it rained that night. Like we are set up for success. And at various times throughout the summer, I watered and I fertilized my plants. And before I knew it, I started to see some little sprouts come up, right? Like it's so fun when the green comes up. And the green kept growing and growing and growing. And there's like vines coming off, off the, the bed. Like I am, I'm a gardener, you guys. Like I have made it. Yes. All right. Months and months and months and hopes and effort And when my carrots finally got like that big, beautiful carrot green bush on it, I went to pull them out. Katie, can you help us out here? And this is what I found. (laughs) Gardening is not my spiritual gift. Um, You know, I tried real hard, but it's, it's not my gift. I'm sure some of you in this room might know what I did wrong. Maybe we can talk about it later. I'm not sure. But Brendan took this photo of the carrot to send all of our friends and family because he thought it was funny. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'm glad that he took it because I think it gives us the perfect picture of what God wants to make clear to us this morning. Have you ever asked God for something? It's like you, you planted a seed, a good and godly seed in the soil of your life in prayer, and you tended it, but it just didn't bear the fruit that you were hoping for. Like, like it just hasn't come yet. Perhaps you've asked God to make you generous, but it's still just so hard to give. Or maybe you've asked God for a breakthrough in a very specific area, maybe like finances or relationships or things at work, and that breakthrough just hasn't come. Maybe you've asked for certain spiritual gifts and they haven't manifested yet you haven't seen them or you've asked for favor or anointing or authority in a specific area you've got good motivations and and this is what you're asking for but your situation isn't changing and metaphorically it seems to look a lot more like my stunted carrots than the full and abundant life that God promised and we're asking for I'm seeing some nods and so I think we all have stunted carrots right you're you're aware of your stunted carrots Now, I think that Jesus knew that there would be profound areas of frustration in the Christian walk for those that would follow him. See, Jesus knew that his disciples would follow him around for just a few short years, and that at some point he would be leaving and telling them that it was now their job to embody him on this earth. They were going to have to love and lead and preach and heal and deliver And point the world to God and to the kingdom to come. This is an astoundingly tall order. To be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to love like Jesus loved, it's nearly impossible. Like we have lots of things to ask God for in order to do what he did on earth. Now it's more than just the preaching and the miracles that we've seen thus far that's expected out of these disciples. And so before Jesus goes any further, he hits a pause. Like so you've... You've seen me do miracles, you've seen me do all these power things, but let's pause and let's look at the nuts and bolts of what's going on in here. So what Jesus is doing is he's clearly identifying a context in which God is willing to work because we can't muster up these things on our own. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Can you all say blessed are the meek? For they shall inherit the earth. As one pastor put it, meekness is the magnet for the favor of God. The rule and reign, the very government of the kingdom of God operates on the principle of meekness. I'm going to say that again. The government of the kingdom of God operates on the principle of meekness. Jesus was meek, and where he was meek, God's favor came. And so too came God's justice and order. Where there was meekness, there was God's favor. Where there's meekness, there's God's justice. Where there's meekness, there is peace on the inside, apart from external pressure. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about meekness specifically in Matthew 11. Most of us have heard this passage. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
It's the same word for meek here. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus is saying, take all the heaviness in your heart, all the fear, all the pressure, whatever it might be, take it all and give it to me, and I'll give you rest. And I want you to learn from me. And the thing that I want you to learn from me is that I'm meek. And meekness is your rest. Now, that word for gentle is prouse. Can you say prouse? All right, so prouse means gentle and meek. It's, it's strength under control, particularly as it relates to relationships to one another. So there's a word picture in here. There's two that go with it. And the first is of like, can you picture a giant, mighty stallion horse? Big one, lots of power. But you put a bit and a bridle in its mouth. And it goes where you want it to go. I'm not a horse person. I don't know how to demonstrate this. But the horse is going to go where you want it to go, right? It's strength under control. Now, the other picture that I think I like even better is the idea of a sea breeze that is just strong enough to push a sailboat along at a good gate, but it's not strong enough to create like a storm or problems. Again, you've got tremendous amount of strength that is somehow bridled for purpose. Prouse. Meekness, or prouse, is the antithesis of pride. Scripture tells us that the devil fell because of pride, and so you could argue that pride is at the root of most sins. It's the operating system of the kingdom of darkness. And as we said before, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, its operating system is meekness. Now, pride might feel good temporarily, but it always loses in the long run. And meekness might feel like weakness. That's the fear, right? We think that being meek is weak. But in the long run, meekness will always, always win. As Proverbs 16.32 tells us, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than any who captures the city. Meekness is trembling before the word of God. It's not weakness. Meekness is agreeing with God about absolutely everything. I did a lot of research on what meekness is, and it has so many expressions, it's really hard to boil down like this is it. So these are just some of the things that I found. Meekness doesn't puff up or brag. It's not defensive. It never seeks revenge. James says that meekness is wisdom that yields to reason. Meekness is not entitled, and it is not demanding. It is not easily offended, and it is never bitter. Meekness can speak the truth truly in love. Meekness can set firm boundaries and maintain loving relationship. It's gentle And it's long-suffering. Meekness waits on the Lord. It's slow to speak, and it's quick to listen, and it doesn't plow its own way. Meekness doesn't pressure, it doesn't come with guilt, and it doesn't bring shame, and it never asks for striving. 
Meekness doesn't fear correction, and it doesn't do fear or despair. Meekness is firmly planted in the goodness of God. It's a powerful weapon that remains unsheathed. It's so countercultural, isn't it? In this personal platform, Instagram filter, write your own story, choose your own truth, fight for your rights and put your haters on blast kind of world we live in. We are constantly invited to brag about ourselves, to proclaim and choose our own truth. We're called to forge our own way and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and beg, borrow, and steal whatever we think we're entitled to. Culture beckons us to be loud and to be unapologetically proud. Like pride is a virtue nowadays, and we are proud of the worst things. We're so wired to think that meekness is weak in this context. It just doesn't make sense. Lest we miss the point, though, that meekness is not weakness, let's take a trip back to the Old Testament and look at Numbers 12. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell the story. We've got this bizarre little gem of a story in Numbers 12 where the children of Israel are out in the wilderness. Moses has led them out, and Aaron and Miriam are starting to get a little fired up. And they say some pretty terrible things about Moses. They don't like that he married a Cushite and they think that he's lost it. And so they start spreading some venom about Moses. Moses says nothing. Like the text says that Miriam and Aaron are running their mouths. And then all of a sudden God says, but Moses was a man of meekness. In fact, says the text, Moses was more meek than any man in the land. Then God calls Moses and Aaron and Miriam to the tent of meeting to have a chat. And he comes and manifests himself as a giant pillar of cloud at the, like the door of the tabernacle and he says, "Miriam and Aaron, come here." <laughs> don't lose it. Like don't let this be lost on you. Like God in a pillar of cloud, you two right here, front and center. And Moses calls them out for their pride. And he says, Moses is my servant. He's a man of character. You know, those prophets, I have to explain myself to them in like riddles and stuff to get my point. And like Moses, I just talk to him because he's meek and he's humble and he does things my way. So you two need to be done. And P.S. Miriam has leprosy. That's what happens. Behold the power of meekness. It's a divine exchange. We give up our power, and then God clothes us with his. Moses was a meek man, but he brought a nation out from underneath the grip of Pharaoh. His staff produced the plague and split the seas in two. He led a nation through the wilderness for 40 years, and God calls this man meek. Is not weak. Jesus spoke the truth to religious ruling authorities. He offended them left, right, and center. But you know what? He wasn't ever vengeful or like biting or raging. He just spoke the truth because he wanted them to know the truth. Jesus cleared out the temple of its money changers and swindlers. He commanded the dead to rise, and he sent legions of demons screaming off of cliffs. 
He was meek. We're not called to be helpless victims or doormats. We're powerful creatures submitted under the wise control and power of God. Now, the problem with meekness is that meekness requires adversity. Um, Like, if you're looking for an opportunity to be meek, you're looking for a problem. Like, meekness shows up on bad days. (laughs) That's, That's when we get to use it. But the thing about meekness is, or adversity is, rather, that when you're meek, you can face adversity. Um, Like, pressure can come, but you stay at peace. I think this is the heart of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 11, right? Like, give the pressures to me, and I will hold you in this adversity. Um, I think our testimonies really embodied this level of meekness, right? Like, with Brendan's testimony, God, I'm going into this scene that could be violent and dangerous, And God just gave him this sense of peace and this power and authority to walk through it. God gives us opportunities to practice meekness, you guys. He allows adversity to come our way. Why? Why would God allow us to go through adversity? Because I think that when we practice meekness, it's an invitation for the favor of God. Okay, so if we are struggling with finances... Let's be meek in that area, and rather than strive in our own power, watch God's favor fall. It's a magnet. Meekness is a magnet for the power and the favor of God. So God says, I'm going to give you a hardship. Why? Because I want to fix it. I'm going to make this hard because I want to show up in this area. It's a complete flip of perspective. It's the upside-down kingdom. When we encounter adversity or hardship, rather than thinking like, man, Why am I being punished or why is it so hard? Why is this such a problem for me? What if God is allowing this opportunity because he would like to pour out his favor? And metaphorically, he wants to give us the earth, friends. This ground that you stand on in meekness, he wants to give it to you. It's your inheritance in him. God desires for us to practice meekness in areas that feel like stunted carrots because he has an abundant harvest for us. What would happen if we took all the energy that you and I put into changing external circumstances and we took that energy and we harnessed it towards meekness, towards understanding what meekness looks like for us in our contexts of need? What would it look like to exchange our energies, our power, to to put down our weapons, every power we've got, and walk in with the peace and the meekness of God? Meekness in our relationships, meekness in our finances, meekness in our workplaces and in our communication, meekness in our planning and our decision-making, meekness under pressure and meekness in our conflict. Meekness in our identity, our understanding of self, and meekness in what God is calling us each to. Meekness is the rich soil in which God grows kingdom fruit. And friends, I don't know about you, but I need some fruit. I need some favor. Amen? Now, I put some words together here. I've I've done my best, but I think David did a better job. David talks about meekness. In Psalm 37. And so as we come to a conclusion, 
I just want to read Psalm 37 for us, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to read pieces of it. So David says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways or when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath, and do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In a little while, the wicked will be no more, and though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land, and they will enjoy peace and prosperity. God, we thank you. We thank you that you show us the way to your goodness and your favor. God, you don't want us to be stuck in our own inability. You didn't make us to be helpless. God, you make a way. And so, Lord, we thank you for the meekness that you've invited us to, the meekness that you modeled on this earth. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to know what stands in the way of our meekness. Help us to see the subtle ways that pride has woven its way into our perspectives. And, God, would you help us to agree with you in all things? And God, we give you thanks for the way that you're going to pour out your favor among us as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.